This morning's going to be a little bit different for me. Those of you who have been around for a while know that that my sermons usually consist of us looking at a, a specific passage and exegeting it. That's a fancy word that means reading it and studying it and finding out how to apply it to our lives. You know, I preach a lot about how, you know, the path to heaven is narrow and hardly anybody's going to get there and hell is hot and God is just and all that good stuff. Normally at the end of my sermons there will be a, a strong challenge or perhaps a call to action or repentance. But today I feel like the Lord is leading us in a different direction and I feel like he's given me a word of encouragement for the church. Today the title of my sermon is Our Father in Heaven. Those of you that know me, most of you know that I'm a dad. I've got two awesome kids. Um, I've got a a 16-year-old daughter named Courtney. She's actually traveling right now with the Allstate Youth Choir, and I get to go to Little Rock this afternoon to pick her up, so I'm excited to see her. It's been like 11 days since I've got a chance to do that. Um, But she's so amazing. She's talented. She's she's beautiful, um, and I'm just so proud of her. And then I've got a son named Justin. Oh... I'm joking. Justin is awesome. If you know him, then you know that. I mean, he is, he's such a good kid. He's 14 years old. He's smart. He's funny. He's talented. And, uh, and most of all, above everything else, he's my buddy. Like, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, Justin, but he's, he's the guy that if I'm going to go shoot guns or work on a car or do that guy stuff, he's the guy I want to be with. Above anybody else in the world, he's the guy I like hanging out with. But enough about my kids. Let's talk about me. Because the reason that my kids are so awesome is clearly because I'm so awesome and I'm such an amazing parent, right? I'm joking again. Um, You know, in spite of how awesome my kids are, and they truly are, sometimes I, I look at things I've done, decisions I've made, and I wonder if I'm really doing a terrible job in parenting them. Uh, you know, for instance... The first time that Justin drove our car, I probably should have been inside it with him. Um, instead of just giving him the keys and saying, hey, can you move this out of the driveway? That decision cost me about $500. But I got a new mailbox out of the deal, so it was pretty sweet. Or maybe back in January when, when Courtney decided to join a youth orchestra uh, and then came to her mother and I and told us, you know what, my schedule's so busy, I, I need to quit. Maybe instead of making her follow through on that commitment, we probably should have let her step back and quit as early as it was in that process. Who knows how long it will take her GPA to recover from that one, if ever. Does anyone else have those oh-no moments as parents? Am I the only one? Show of hands out there. If you're just a terrible parent, raise your hand. Amen. If only they came with an instruction manual, right? But the great news is that we have an excellent example to follow in the Bible. You know, women, they actually get really lucky. In Proverbs, they have an entire chapter dedicated to exactly what they should be like. I mean, it just, it just tells them. Guys have to work a little bit harder, but we have an amazing example in God, our Father. You know, we don't have to follow the flawed human examples that we see all throughout the Bible. For example, Adam. Adam basically brought sin into the world. That was his commitment to fathering. And remember, one of his kids ended up killing another one. Or what about Noah? You know, Noah basically spent all his time out working in his wood shop. And then after moving his family halfway around the world, he gets drunk and lays around naked. 
and then curses his son for seeing him laying around naked. There's Lot who offered up his two daughters to an angry mob. And then there's Abraham who kicked one of his sons out, sent him packing because his wife didn't like him. And the other son he nearly stabbed to death. I could go on for a long time. Believe me, I've studied a lot of bad examples of fathers over the past week. But the good news is that we have a great example to father to follow, excuse me, in our father in heaven. Time and time again God is described as being our heavenly father. If you can look in Malachi 2, it says, "Don't all of us have the same father? Hasn't the same God created us?" In Ephesians 5, Paul says, "There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And even Jesus himself, when teaching us how to pray, said that we should address him as our Father in heaven. See, church, the best news of all that I have today is regardless of what your situation here on earth may be, regardless of how good or bad your parents may have been or may be, you have a heavenly Father who loves you. Amen? This morning, we're, we're going to look at three ways that that heavenly father actually participates in our lives. Because the great thing is, he's not an absentee dad. He doesn't just, you know, create us and then hands off for the rest of his life. Or our life, rather. He doesn't, his life doesn't end. The first way that he participates is he gives protection to his children. In Billy Graham's book entitled Angels, he tells the story of a missionary named John Pollock. John and his wife moved to the South Pacific to minister to the missionaries, to, or to, the, to the Indians there, the natives. And when they arrived, they were the first white missionaries those natives had ever seen. And it scared everybody. In fact, the witch doctor was so scared that he commanded the tribe to kill that family. So the first night that they were there, John and his wife stayed in their hut. And their hut was surrounded by the tribe with spears. They spent that night on their knees in prayer, asking God for his protection. And strangely, the tribe never attacked. As time went on, they learned the language and they, and they gained the trust of the people there. And eventually, the chief actually became a Christian. Many of you have heard this story before, but, but he was having a conversation. John was with the chief one day, and he said, I've always wondered, on that first night when you surrounded us with spears, why did you never attack? And the chief said, well, it was because of all of your guards. Where did you get all those guys? And John said, what are you talking about? It was was just me and my wife and our family. The chief said, oh, no. He said, that first night, your hut was surrounded by large men with swords in their hands, and that's why we never attacked. Our father gives protection to his children. And really, that's just about the most important job of any father, isn't it? It's probably the single most important thing that we do is try to protect our children. You know, and it doesn't matter whether you're an earthly father running around putting annoying little plastic things into all the power outlets or, or installing things on your kids' phones to make sure they can't text and drive or whether it's the heavenly father sending angels to guard a missionary in his family. A father always does his best to protect his children. We find countless examples in Scripture of God protecting his children. Just like in the story with John, God sent an army of angels to surround Elisha and his servant when the army came to kill them. He closed the mouths of the lions for Daniel. 
He protected the three Hebrew children when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. It said they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. Or what about Jonah, the story of Jonah? Did you know that the reason that God sent a fish to swallow him wasn't a punishment? He sent it to save his life. Jonah had just been thrown overboard in the middle of a storm in the middle of the ocean. He was as good as dead. So God protected him by sending a fish to swallow him and then cough him up on the shore three days later. And the great news is that God's protection isn't just for prophets and it isn't just for people in the Old Testament. God's protection is available to all of his children. You know, in the book of Job, we see where Satan challenges God when, he's, when they're talking about Job. And he says, well, haven't you given Job a reason to fear you? Haven't you put a protective fence around him and his home and everything that he has? Man, I'm glad I have that fence around my life. Amen. In 2 Samuel 22, David talks about God and he calls him his fortress, his shield, the one who saved him from violence. Psalms 121 says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let you fall. Your guardian will not fall asleep. It says, the Lord is your guardian, and he guards over you from every evil. He guards your life. The Lord guards you as you come and go now and forever. It's pretty awesome. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. It goes on to say that that is our inheritance, that the Lord declares our victory. I'm here to tell you today that God has your back. And regardless of how big the situation that you're facing is, regardless of how scary it may seem, I want to quote the, the theologian, Junior Asparagus. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Amen? Your heavenly father gives protection to his children. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just give us protection. He also makes provision for his children. You know, I told you that Courtney was on All-State Choir Tour. And yesterday was their off day. They take a day off and they go shopping and do a bunch of stuff. And, and just like any good young woman, Courtney wanted to go shop. And she had some money that she had raised uh, doing some child care and stuff like that. And then I had given her money for her food before she left. But I got a text message from her. It said, I found some shoes that I really love. Shoes. Bless them. For $50. I only have 35 on me, she says, because you still have $15 of mine. Could I just use the card to get them and give you all my cash when I get home? Well, I didn't answer that because I didn't see it. I was driving down the road. So she called me and asked the same question. And I said, well, Courtney, what is this $15 that you're talking about? And she said, well, when I was working fireworks, I had to buy some of my own lunches with my own money. <laughs> oh, I see how I owe you now. She said, mom said you would pay me back for that. Well, what she didn't know was when I sent her off on tour and I gave her lunch money, what I gave her was lunch money plus $20 for what she had spent on her own lunches. But a father loves to provide for their children. So after I made sure that, that she had enough money for all of her meals and that she still had $35 of her own money to use, I said, yeah, go ahead and get the shoes and, and I'll cover the other 15. 
About 44 minutes later, I regretted that decision. When I got a text message that said, I just realized I completely forgot about lunch whenever I was doing the math. So I actually owe you about $10. I'm sorry. (laughs) As a dad, we always want our children to have the best. We always want them to have everything they need and everything that they want. And God is no different. Again, I point you to Scripture where over and over and over we see the Lord's provision. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, he provided food for them to eat and water for them to drink. In fact, Nehemiah tells us that they had everything they needed for those 40 years. He says that their clothes didn't even wear out. Psalms 111.5 says that he provides food for those who fear him. He will never forget his promises. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that God isn't like Michael Scott? Does anybody here watch The Office? You're not supposed to admit that in church. I remember this episode of The Office, and I believe it was called Mike's Tykes. And the premise of this episode was that that 10 years before, Michael Scott, who's the manager of, of this branch of Dunder Mifflin, had been giving a speech in an elementary school. And he made a promise to these underprivileged kids in this class that any of them that graduated high school, he was going to pay for their college. Well, here we are 10 years later, and he's still just the branch manager of Dunder Mifflin. He's not the millionaire that he thought he would be. And these kids are getting ready to graduate, and he doesn't have money to pay for even one of their college, let alone all of them. And he goes to the school, and, and uh, they're there, and they're all wearing Mike's tight shirts and doing cheers and chants and talking about how awesome he is. And he has to get up and tell them, I'm not going to be able to pay for your college. As you can imagine, that wasn't a popular statement. <laughs> These kids had worked really hard to graduate high school, and, and their college was supposed to be paid for. But he said, what good is it to go to college without a brand new laptop. And everybody's like, oh, awesome, we get a laptop. He said, which is rendered useless without a battery to power it. And I have bought every one of you a battery. Aren't you glad that God is able to keep his promises? He has the ability to provide what he says he's going to provide. Probably one of the most famous stories of God's provision is found in Genesis chapter 22. It's a story of Abraham and Isaac. As most of you know, Abraham was a very, very old man, and God had promised him he was going to be the father of many nations. And when he was really, really, really old, he had his son Isaac. And then one day, out of the clear blue, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Wow. Can you imagine? I don't even know how I would respond to that request. But the very next, next verse in the Bible just says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled their donkey, and took two servants and his only son to go sacrifice. 
As the story goes on, Abraham and Isaac start up the mountain to where they're going to do the sacrifice, and they leave the servants there with the donkey. And they're on their way up, and, and Isaac's no dummy. He kind of looks around, and he's like, well, we've got the wood, and we've got the rope, and we've got the knife, but where's the sheep, the lamb? And he asks his dad, where's the sacrifice? All that Abraham said is God will provide. Well, they made it up to the top of the mountain, and they prepared the altar, and then Abraham took his only son and tied him up and laid him on the altar. The Bible says that as he reached for the knife and picked it up to take his life, that God said, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on him. And Abraham looked, and there was a ram caught up in the thickets. He sacrificed that ram in place of his son. And then he named that place Jehovah-Jireh, my Lord provides. Church, my Lord provides. You know, a lot of people find that story hard to understand or hard to take. You know, why would a God ever ask a parent to do that? And what parent could? I'll be honest with you. I don't, if God told me and I knew that it was God, told me to go sacrifice my son, I don't think I could do it. Doesn't matter what the punishment would be. I just couldn't do it. But I read something a while back when I was reading this story that, that made me look at the story in a different light. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Abraham's obedience. I really do believe that he would have taken Isaac's life had it come to that. In fact, he was about to. But I also believe that he knew or at least believed God would provide. I don't think he was lying to Isaac when they were walking up the mountain and Isaac said, Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide. If you look back a few Scriptures, verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham was talking to his servants, and he said, you stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship, and after that, we will come back to you. Church, he didn't say, I'll come back to you. He said, we're going to come back. We have a father who wants to provide for our every need. Can you imagine how much less stress you would have and how much better your life would be if you had the faith of Abraham that God's going to provide? You may recall the story of a young boy and his mother who went into the drugstore. The proprietor of that store was a kind old gentleman. He had a jar of suckers there on the counter, and he, he told the boy, here, take a handful of suckers. Well, the boy wasn't shy usually, but he just kind of stood there and shook his head. So the old man reached in and grabbed a handful of suckers and gave it to the boy. And as they were leaving, when they got outside, his mother asked, why were you so shy? Why didn't you take a handful of suckers when he, when he volunteered that? He said, are you kidding me? Did you see how much bigger his hands are than mine? I am so glad that God's hands are so much bigger than mine. He loves me just like any father would love their child. And he will make provision for all of my needs and many of my wants. No matter how big the need you're facing may seem, it's not too big for God. God has that job waiting for you. God has that money for the electric bill. You don't know how you're going to pay. God has that rent check. Amen. Amen. Whatever it is that you need, God has it. So stop worrying about it. 
Turn it over to him. Finally, our Father in heaven takes pleasure in his children. Like how those all start with P. I'm gifted. I've only found two things that people like to talk about more than they like to talk about themselves. That's their children and their grandchildren. Have you ever made the mistake of getting somebody going talking about their kids? Better hold on, you're in for a ride. I actually went to lunch earlier this week with a with a buddy of mine. He's a he's a minister in this area and and we go to lunch every couple of months just kind of I mean it's it's healthy for us both. We kind of de-stress and and just visit, just be friends. And we had been there for a couple of hours talking about church and 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 work and family and and sports. And it was time to leave. And just as we were getting ready to leave, I said something that prompted him to talk about his son. We were there for like 45 minutes. Because he's proud of him. He told me stories about his son that I've heard three times. Because he takes pleasure in his child. Sometimes I'll just sit back and, and watch my kids when they don't know I'm there. And just watch them being themselves. You ever do that? Most of the time it makes me happy what they're doing. But I'll just sit back and watch and, and, and just beam with pride. Oh, that's my kid. Do you know that God's the same way? God takes pleasure in his children. We talked about the book of Job earlier. Do you know what it was that God said that got Satan so riled? Satan came in and, and God asked him where he'd been and he said from roaming to and fro. God said, have you thought about my servant Job? No one else in the world is like him. He is a man of integrity. He's decent. He fears God and he stays away from evil. That's God bragging on his kid. We see it again with David. If you look at Acts 13, 22. We read that God removed Saul and made David their king. It says God spoke favorably about David. He said, I've found that David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart. See, God takes pleasure in his children. In fact, Psalms 149.4 says just that. You know, when I was, when I was preparing for the sermon, I, I told Christina that, it, that I felt like that my three points were supposed to be that, that he uh, gives protection and he makes provision and he takes pride in his. And she said, well, do you really think he takes pride in us? And I'm like, well, yeah, God's proud of me. I know he is. But then I, I got to praying and reading and studying and I realized, you know what? It's not so much pride. He takes pleasure in us. And then I found this scripture. Psalm 149.4 says, because the Lord takes pleasure in his people. How are you going to refute that? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. In closing, we have a Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, who gives protection to his children. 
He makes provision for his children. And he takes pleasure in his children. And the reason he does all of that is very simple. It's because he loves us. God loves us. See, the reason that I don't let my kids spend the night at a friend's house if I don't know their parents. And the reason that I'll skip a meal or two this week so that Courtney could buy those shoes, or three, because she forgot to tell me about lunch. The reason that I can sit for hours and wear you out talking about my kids is because I love them. And the reason that I am capable of loving my children is because I was created in the image of a God who loves his children. I was created to be just like him. And he's shown me time and time and time again in his word how much he loves his children. He loves you more than you could ever think or know. He loves you more than you could ever understand. And he will love you from now until the end of time if you never do anything in return. But he does want something in return. He just wants you to love him back. All that God wants is to spend eternity with you. Neil, if you could come to the keyboard. You know, I was listening to a sermon earlier this week by Pastor Robert Morris in Gateway. And the sermon was called God's Greatest Desire. And I almost played a segment of that for you, but uh, I just decided not to. But he talks about how early in his ministry, he was traveling, preaching revival. So he had a lot of free time during the day to, to just read the word. And he said there were a few times where he was able to read the Bible in, on a vacation or whatever in 12 days. And he, and he did this a few times in a row. And, and when he did, he said there was a, a passage that, or, or a phrase that stood out to him over and over and over and over throughout the Bible. He said that he wasn't sure, but in his opinion that that phrase was used more than any other phrase in the Bible. And then he went on to quote like 30 or 40 times this is said. The Bible says time and time again, they will be my people and I will be their God. What do you think's on God's heart? What do you think his heart cry is? It's for you to be his people so that he can be your God. That's why he created us. He created all the animals and, and all the birds and all the fish. And then he said, you know what, guys? Let's create man in our image because I want somebody to hang out with. Just like my favorite person in the world to hang out with is my son, Justin. God's favorite person in the world to hang out with is you. 
Today, I've got four very distinct calls that I want to make for this altar time. The first one is this. Maybe you're not God's child. You sat here through this entire sermon listening to me talk about what God does for his children. But you're not his child. You've never been adopted into the family. You know, like I said, God wants nothing more than for you to be his people so that he can be your God. And he made a way for that to happen, and it's called grace. Pastor Kyle quoted this scripture earlier. He didn't even know I was going to say this. John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that you can have a relationship with him. So that you can have everlasting life. So that he can hang out with you. Today, if you're here and you want to be his child, I'm going to invite you to come. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to ask a couple people to help me out. Katie and Tammy, could you come up here? And, and uh, Caleb and Kinley. Can you guys come just stand over here? got a man and a woman and a young man and a young woman here. I know them and I know that they can lead you to the Lord. You know, so many times in an altar service, we feel like that this is a shameful moment, which is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. The Bible says that when somebody comes to know the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. Today is your day. Today is your day to be adopted into the family of God. They're up here to meet with you. They're up here to pray with you. I want to encourage you to just come right now. If you want to know God, just come. Nobody's going to be watching you. We're not, we're not going to be paying attention to you. We're going to move on. We're going to let you pray. I just want to encourage you to come and meet this God. Come and, and make him your father. Guys, if you would, just stay there. There are people in this room today who need God's protection more than you ever have in your life. Maybe your job is in danger. Maybe you're sick and your life is in danger. Maybe you have a relationship that's, that's just on the brink of collapsing. And you need God's protection there. In just a moment when I open these altars, I want you to come. Because God protects his children. He's here for you. There are people here who need God's provision more than you ever have in your whole life. You're at the end of your savings and then some. You've been looking for a job, but it just hasn't materialized yet. You've been trying to pay your bills, but you don't know how you're going to keep your house or keep your car. You don't know how you're going to put food on the table for your kids this week. 
Church, God provides all of your needs according to his riches and glory. I want to encourage you in just a moment to come. Finally, there are people here today that need reminded that God takes pleasure in you. You struggle with loving yourself or thinking that you're not good enough. This week, Satan's been beating you up and telling you that, that even God can't love you. Church, let me tell you, if you're a child of God, he loves you more than you could imagine. Today, I want to invite you to come and just experience his love, experience his presence. I'm going to ask Neil to sing. And when he begins, these altars are open. Don't miss this opportunity.